If you awaken from this illusion and you understand that black implies white, self implies other, life implies death, you can feel yourself not as a stranger in the world, not as something here on probation, not as something that has arrived here by fluke, but you can begin to feel your own existence as absolutely fundamental. What you are basically, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. This is episode number six, and today I'm going to be talking with Mr. Hervoy Morich, or Hollywood Hervoy, as I like to call him, which you'll find out in part one why that is. So before we get to that, I just wanted to do a few listener updates. So firstly, I am currently in the process of trying to upgrade the sound quality for the podcast. I've noticed when I listen to it back, particularly when I've got headphones on, there's some echo and just the quality is not where I want it to be. So I'm going to be upgrading that. So hopefully you'll notice some differences in the coming weeks or months. Also, for members, I'm going to be putting a comment section beneath every single episode. So we'll be able to talk about what we were discussing on the episode. You'll be able to interact with other members. And myself, I'll be dipping in and out of there as well. So on to tonight's episode. Like I said, I'm speaking to Hervoy Morich, good friend of mine. I really enjoy speaking to Hervoy. He's a very interesting character. He's had a really cool past. He's been involved in geopolitics. He's worked with a number of people who were quite high up in politics. So I'm pretty sure he worked with the ex-president of Kazakhstan. So Hervoy, like I said, he's got an interesting past. And that's one of the first questions that I ask Hervoy is, what was it like coming from that background? What did you learn about it? And how did you kind of transcend that to go on to be somebody that is actually very critical of politics and geopolitics and is speaking out against it? Because like I said, her voice had a few arrows sent his direction. He was banned from PayPal, banned from Patreon. He had an order put out against his Geopolitics and Empire podcast. And I wanted to know what motivates Hervoy to continue doing this because all of us who are in this game are sacrificing usually a lot. It's not financially lucrative. You get all kinds of problems. I got banned for life off PayPal just recently. So there's all kinds of problems that come from doing this work, but we're all motivated. We're all driven by something. And it seems to me that the people who have the most courage right now are those that have meaning in their life. It's people who actually have something bigger than just dead materialism, to steal a phrase from my good friend Ian Ferguson from White Lotus of Light. Ian, if you're listening, I now use that all the time because that's exactly what it is, dead materialism, meaninglessness, nihilism. That's what's been sold to us. But for those people that are stepping outside of that, that actually have something bigger, something more powerful in their life than just this dead materialism, it seems to me those are the people that are surviving the best, coping the best, and also showing the most courage. And I want to find out when I speak to people like that, what's driving you? Where does that come from? 
and we discussed that with her right in part two of tonight's show. So it will also help you to analyze your own belief structures and to think about courage in your own life. How are you going to demonstrate courage when the time comes? Because trust me, the way we're going, we're all going to have to be very courageous in the coming 10, 15, 20 years. So I'm going to leave it there for the introduction. Members, please remember to go over to parallelmike.com to listen to the full episode. Part one is about an hour, part two about an hour and 20. So please head over there to listen to the full two hours 20. Everyone else, thank you for listening. And of course, I will see you in the next one. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast. I've got a fantastic guest here. It's Harit Morich, Professor of International Relations, or ex-professor, should I say. He's also host of the Geopolitics and Empire show and also the TNT radio show. So welcome, Harit. We've spoken many times before. Love speaking to you. Welcome to the podcast. Yakshamash, what's going on? I'm, I'm using my, the, my Borat, so <laughs> greetings to everyone. Yeah, and you're a, you're a Croat national, aren't you, Hawaii? Yes, I'm an American national, Croat national, and a Mexican national. Proud uh, of all three citizenships. If there was a war between the three countries, which side are you on? I guess it'd have to go for Croatia. You know, that's, that's <laughs> who, ethnically who I am. So, uh. Well, you know, there's so much we could talk about, Hawaii, And you're one of those people who has access to so many... Uh, varied voices on your shows you have some of the top quality voices out there so I think this conversation is going to be interesting uh, I wonder how do you find it Hawaii, having spoken to all these people to find your own voice in that because I guess you've got all these other voices in your head from doing this day in day out I mean even before that I've had voices in my head no <laughs> just kidding but um no it's like I always have my own thing you know I'm not like um um, I'm always, you know, I, how do you say, clearing my own path, and I get to talk to all these people. But it's not like, you know, I studied in diplomacy, and I was around some, you know, d- diplomats, and a lot of people who are very pretentious and think that, you know, they want you to kiss their butts. And I learned, very, I mean, very quickly, I'm, I will never do that with anyone. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care what status you have. You know, I don't bow down to anyone. So yeah, I just get to chat with people. I try to soak in what I can uh, from the people that I talk to. There are things that I don't agree with firmly and I just uh, discard. And so and I'm going to be meeting some of these people. I, I've made it a point this year to attend conferences. And so I'm going to L.A. Uh, soon and I'm going to hang out. You know, I got the VIP dinner and, you know, maybe I'll be meeting, hanging out with Steve Bannon, who's going to be speaking there. And like half a dozen of my past TNT uh, geopolitics guests, uh, like Michael Recknewald, Joe Allen, uh, um, Libo, um, I can't even remember all of their names. And I'll be going to the Ron Paul conference uh, in Texas and having dinner with uh, Ron Paul and the speakers there. So I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year. This is where my nickname for you comes from, Hawaii. Do you, do you know what nickname I've got for you? No, it, it's Hollywood Hawaii. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to Hollywood. So there you go. Yeah, you 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 get you you do get yourself in some really cool circles, and uh, you know I remember when you first uh, invited me on your show, and I looked at your website, and I couldn't believe some of the past experiences that you had. And I'm just wondering, Hawaii, maybe you could give the guests actually, uh, sorry, the listeners, just a bit of a rundown on some of these places you've been to, people you've worked with, and maybe you could tell us how many times you've been called a shill, because it sounds to me. From looking at your history, like you really have been a part of that kind of establishment as well. You've actually been in politics. Well, I've kind of touched uh, 
uh, the, the the face of you know not not the face of god but the the face of satan to you know the the, the ruler of this world uh yeah i mean i just i come from an average middle class background but then i decided decided to escape the u.s empire perm, you know permanently ex- expatriate in the 2000s uh i i did peace corps mongolia uh lived in the yurts you know finding the trying to find the meaning of life uh and then ended up studying international relations in geneva uh and then you know being while i was there in geneva my my professors were Saddam Hussein's lawyer, um, Yasser Arafat's brother-in-law, Alfred Zayas, who's frequently in Russia today. I still uh, am in touch with and um, people like that. You know, my classmate was the China's, uh, the son of China's ambassador to the UN, like high high position. And so, um, yeah, then I just got a job in Mexico. And then being in Mexico, starting my podcast like 13 years ago. No, was it, how many years ago is it? Like a little over a decade ago. I got to meet like Daniel Estelin of Bilderberg fame, who now lives in uh, Kazakhstan. I organized a conference uh, for him, spent a day with him in Mexico. Nomi Prince, uh, you know, she's pretty well known. I met her down here. Um, G. Edward Griffin, you know, the creature oh, from Jekyll Island. He, t- oh, he took yeah. me out. He, yeah, he, t- he took me out to lunch in L.A. like uh, 12 years ago uh, because I was volunteering for his website and I happened to be passing through L.A. So all these little like chance uh, meetings and, you know, even in Kazakhstan when I was living uh, one of the guys, Sayasat Nurbek, this uh, um, very intelligent Kazakh, he's 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 studied geopolitics, speaks like half a dozen languages, and I interviewed him, and now he's like got some high level position in Kazakhstan. So yeah, I mean, when you say shill, it's like just because someone meets with someone doesn't mean yeah. I met with Gorbachev for six years ago, and it's like yeah, those are amazing experiences to have, and it doesn't mean. You know, you're some shill just because. Oh, no. I guess what I'm getting at is usually the way I see it work. And, you know, I've yet to really had the shill stick beaten on me. Yeah, but it's, I'm sure it's coming. I'm waiting for it. I, I don't think that I've I've made it in podcasting until I've actually had that. So that's kind of like a badge of honor that I'm waiting for. But usually when people see that you've had some kind of past that's been involved in, say, politics, or if you mentioned the United Nations, then they say, oh, oh. Oh, that that means he's one of them. He's one of them. Now, I was speaking to my wife about it today. I was like, "Well, I've met Havoy uh, a number of times on online, and I'm sure we'll meet in person at some point." And I said, "Havoy's as real as you get. You know, he's like he's a decent guy." But the audiences, you do get some crazy people. You get some crazy people out there who are looking to say that. So, have you actually had any of that? Have you had people try to call you out for having this kind of? It's a pretty cool past, I think. Yeah, I, I haven't had so much the issue with people calling me shills or controlled opposition. The biggest issue has been, and I think it's coming from like NATO, you know, the, the military intelligence where I'm being attacked. They're, they continue to try to paint me as an extremist, as an anti-semi-neo-fascist extremist. And th- there was this Can- Canada vice journalist who's sponsored by the Canadian government. Think about that. And who's following my every move on my guests on TNT and my podcast and calling, trying to tweet, oh, look, he he interviewed Raw Egg Nationalist. Uh, and so they're trying to link me to being some sort, uh, some sort of Nazi fascist. Whereas here I am openly saying I'm against Nazism. My grandpa was a Nazi prisoner. I'm married to a brown person, a Mexican. I became a Mexican. So how does, you know, a Nazi Aryan supremacist 
And I couldn't even be an Aryan supremacist because I'm a Slav. Um, and according to the Aryan Nazi supremacists, Slavs are, you know, cattle. So again, it's like, and I, and, and my tactic is I just openly respond to them. And I even had a disgruntled listener of mine call me Jew politics and empire because I do not subscribe, <laughs> you know, to the whole, to the whole, the Jews control the world theory. And I actually quote tweeted to the Canadian journalist, look, you're not making, how can you pay me out to be this when even my listeners say that I'm not, you know? And so I find that's, that that's the way they're trying to get at me. Like they, there's different levels. First it's Patreon and PayPal, and then they try to ruin your reputation. And I'm not big enough yet. Like other, you know, like Mercola or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, you know, Mercola got such serious flack, you know, he had to like take down his website. Um, so you know, there's different levels. I remember levels that to this he, he got. I think yeah. he got. It sounded to me like McCullough got some kind of uh, real threat to him, wasn't it? Yeah, like financial and death threats, and then so legal, and so he had to put everything behind the Substack paywall, uh, so that way they can't like legally go after him. So it is. Yeah. It's a it's a scary world out there, and you know, it's not an easy path to go down. I have to say that you know, when I first started doing things, it was about the finance, but. In the world that we've got today with all of these agendas that are going on, if you are not having a voice out there, then you're almost speaking for the other side. So I think you have to take a stand. You have to be on a side. And that's probably something we're going to get into uh, today in this uh, podcast. So let's maybe get into the weeds a little bit. And we could start perhaps by you just giving us your overview of where are we and where are we going? I know you like to do this to your listeners. So I think it's time somebody did it to you. Let's get that 10,000 foot view. Well, yeah, I mean, I actually had some notes, some fresh developments that were on my mind just these last couple of days, given news and stuff. And, you know, my biggest thing is the algorithm ghetto. I'm starting to call it now also the algorithm gulag. It's coming for all of us. There's nowhere to escape all countries. And if we think of the global elites, it's like this is the number one threat. You know, war. uh you know, I just bought a fascinating book for like 75 bucks. It's out of print from the 1970s. One of my past TNT guests tweeted about it. And it's a book from a professor saying, talking about the coming world state and saying that they would have, that there would be like a third world war. Um, wherever it happened, it would be, uh, you know, at a high level. But it wouldn't be like all encompassing, like destroying the world. So it would happen in certain locations and wherever it happened, it would be damaging. But then after that, they would try to use the emotions, this world state and the globalists to try to twist people's arms into accepting, you know, finally world government. Because they say, look, look how bad, look at all this that happened. And then I feel like they'll take survivors in the impoverished masses and push us into these smart cities, 15-minute cities. And that's kind of where I'm getting at because... I just saw that yesterday here in Mexico, in the Yucatan, next month, they're going to have the uh, uh, Smart City Latin America Conference. And they're going to be talking about how the, you know they want to you know, build every, all, every, everything into these smart cities. It's a, it's a three-day expo. I'm going to see if I can try to go. Um, but there's that. And then this links to the digital currency aspect. So I found a 2013 IMF white uh, a white paper written by someone from china central bank uh so this is 10 years ago 
So it's basically China's central bank. So everyone's in that. It's the Chinese central bank working with the IMF. It's the U.S. working with the IMF. It's the, all countries working with the IMF. Our leaders are all globalists. So it's not like China's taking over the world or Russia or, you know, it's this global class. And this paper talks about, you know, the plan. it's been the same plan for ages. Um, Keynes, who wanted the one world currency, like the Bancor, uh, at some point he called it the Unitar. And isn't it funny, the IMF just last week uh, christened the Unicoin, the global the CBDC Unicoin. And, and basically what I thought was interesting, they, they want to create the IMF special drawing right as the International Reserve. And they say to do that, we need to get countries using the SDR through SDR bonds in many different ways. And I was trying to look at uh, Ukraine. I, and I found just last month, that the IMF is issuing billions in lo- in SDR loans to Ukraine to go towards building their infrastructure, which is exactly what this paper said 10 years ago, that the way to bring in the IMF SDR global one world currency is to get countries to start using it. And that one day they, one way they can do that is to take SDR loans to use in rebuilding infrastructure. So it's like maybe one of the purposes of Ukraine is to destroy Ukraine Um and then use IMF SDR bonds to rebuild it to get the IMF SDR bonds juices flowing to then bring it into this global currency. And then simultaneously, they've created the IMF um, Unicoin, which will maybe be the digital representation of that IMF SDR. So that's kind of like where I feel, uh, for me, the most important where, where we're headed. And then and the technocracy, they're they're coming after our cars, like here in Mexico. We're forced now this year to do emissions check uh, of every car. People have told me that sometimes it's just randomly your car doesn't pass. So it's like they can just randomly declare your car is illegal because it didn't pass pass the emissions, you know, and we can't tell you why. So you can't drive your car anymore. Uh, And so, yeah, they're coming after our cars, uh, smart cities, digital currencies. You know, it's it's crazy. So, yeah. You know, it's funny what you said there about this. Uh, the, you mentioned that the IMF had a paper. Did you say 2013? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got a paper. I just got it up and pulled it up in front of me. It's from October the 33rd, 1996, and it's from the NSA. And it says, how to make a mint the cryptography of anonymous electronic cash. And I don't know if you've seen this article, Havoy, but this goes back to 1996. So I was just a young lad back then. And it's talking about cryptocurrencies and the creation of a cryptocurrency that the central banks can use to have this centralized digital currency, which was exactly where we are today. Now, that blows my mind. So this goes back a long, long way, even the crypto part of it, even the uh, digital currency. And I don't know where you lie on that one. I don't want to get too far down that path because I think it's kind of a bit different to what we were speaking about. But it does seem to me like this crypto mania that we've had the last few years has come an awfully opportune time for the elites as they need working models, as they need the private sector to start experimenting with these things, also get people excited and conditioned for it. So I don't know if you've put much thought into that, but I'm definitely on the fence as to what these are and who is actually behind them. And I certainly do not put them forward personally as a solution for this uh, freedom problem that we've got. Now, you sort of laid out my my thesis. I mean, I've seen that 1996 MIT NSA paper, and then you can go back. I mean, you can trace it, you know, 1988's Economist cover, which talks about 
you know, in 2018, the fiat currency is burning and some sort of new, uh, it alludes to, you know, it has uh, the symbol very similar to Bitcoin uh, coin in that uh, 1988 economist cover. Um, and yeah, my view is that cryptos has been, seems to have been a globalist Trojan horse to wet people's appetites. A lot of people got money. And now it's, it's created, as, you, as exactly as you said, um, the globalists have all of these private big tech companies and people developing different iterations of these systems. Uh, they're starting to use Ethereum as their layer for uh, the CBDCs. Like the Norway Central Bank said that they're going to use Ethereum as their layer. Kazakhstan, where I used to live, the Kazakh government central bank there said they're thinking of using Binance like uh, as their basis. So it's exactly what you're saying. And then they can conveniently use crypto as the problem, like, you know, problem, reaction, solution. So, oh, crypto has, um, like, the problems is creating, uh, but we have a solution. It's, you know, digital ID and CBDCs. So, you know, any which way you cut it, the whole crypto Bitcoin space is assisting them in pushing us towards this cashless society and algorithm ghetto. And for me, like, this is the final... It really is, as Aldo Huxley said from Brave New World, the final revolution. And I, I just cannot not see how this is not the final beast system of the book of uh, Revelation. Maybe we can get into that later. But, I mean, basically, they're going to track it's, – it's social credit. So they're going to track every single aspect. Here's another shocker. This weekend, my Mexican bank app updated. And the new update – like I almost fell off my chair. Like, you know, this is coming, but when it actually happens so fast, it's jaw dropping. So the app updated this weekend for my Mexican bank account. And now when you log in, it shows your carbon footprint. It tells me that I have used 20,000 pesos. It's like a thousand dollars. That that's what my footprint costs. Uh, there, and then it just got little icons of your energy use, your electricity use. Uh, you know, it's nuts. So it's like, it's, it's accelerating, and so this is this cashless social credit system is going to examine your religious beliefs, your philosophical beliefs, your moral beliefs. Do you accept LGBT? Uh, do you accept Mother Earth worship, uh, Gaia? You know, climate change. Do you accept the WHO precepts? You know, and the list is going to get longer. And so, if you don't accept those, you're going to be fined, penalized, um, accounts limited or shut. And you know, for me, ultimately, it's a spiritual thing because. Uh, a lot of those principles are tied to faith in God and, and and Christ, and so it's not like openly like anti-Christian, but it really is, you know. So they're they're going to be bending your arm backward and saying, "Accept the the rainbow fascism," uh, you know. And if you don't, <laughs> so yeah. No, I I want to get into that for sure. I want to get into the spiritual side of things because it has to be a spiritual war at this point. And I, I always say to people, if you don't have a great conception of good or meaning, you're going to fail. You're going to bow down to them at some point because they'll find something to twist your arm and you're going to get feared into it. And also, if you truly believe, like I do and you do, that we are facing Satan in one form or another, we're facing evil entities, dark principalities, as the Bible puts it, then you need something that can defeat evil. And the only thing that can defeat, defeat evil of that magnitude is God. So you need God, you need a God, and you need to figure that out for yourselves. Uh, but I don't tell people what to believe. I think everyone's got the right to choose what they believe, but I do think it's going to be extremely difficult. Do we not have something greater? 
Uh, and the great thing is, everything that's happened the last few years has actually pushed, there's been a revival. There's a revival in uh, in belief. And that's fantastic for me to see. Uh, even for myself, like I've really had to dig deep and questioning those things. So I think there's definitely positives there. But let's get into that a little bit later. Because one thing that you did mention was the fact that this is happening everywhere, all across the world, all at the same time. And there's so many people that are getting in touch with me saying, Mike, where do I go? Where do I go? Do I go to South America? Do I go to Asia? Do I go to Vietnam? And I say to them, you can go anywhere. And there's certainly worse places to be. I'm right in the centerpiece of a chessboard right now. So (laughs) I've got a few concerns myself where I am. However, like you said, it is happening everywhere. Every single nation seems to be in on this. And it seems to me like our best move as individuals, if we're talking purely from a practical getting ourselves safe, it's just to find the quietest piece of the chessboard, the quietest square of the chessboard, because the whole chessboard is owned right now. Have I got it right, Hawaii? Is that how you see it too? Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere to run. Um, And, you know, as I can see it for myself, the only defense is spiritual. Like my only bearing uh, that keeps me sane is you know jesus christ uh, and that that spiritual white pill where no matter what happens um you know that faith that i know i can be killed and tortured whatever uh you know i'm gonna make it uh, uh to the uh, to the other side uh but because without that you know that that's what gives me the strength to you know go on whether it's going to be this you know economic impoverishment whether these these insults online you know as we discussed already um that's what gives me the thick skin so like i really don't care anyone can do anything call me uh, take my, my my money persecute me uh, yeah a lot of people are familiar with that basic history right the persecution of uh christians or other groups and so that's what keeps me going and it's uh, it's it's uh, I, I thought this was interesting. I interviewed on TNT recently a pastor from New York City called Andy Woodard. He's got a new book coming out in June called Great Reset Christianity. And he's explaining how Davos and the globalists have infiltrated the Christian churches uh, globally. Uh, again, that's not to say that, you know, the Bible is not real. It's just that this was foretold to happen. Men aren't perfect. Churches aren't perfect. Um, and that's why believers have to, you know, be discerning and 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 stay strong. But they that, that's the third leg of the world government. They've already got control of the political system, the economic. They need some form of moral, spiritual, sociocultural, you know, like religion to get people on board with the world government. So they've they're creating a new religion. It's part, you know, old earth worship, pagan, uh, Gaia. Uh, and then this woke woke stuff, transgender, transhumanist aspect, and so he he's explaining in his book uh, how that's they're taking over the churches to to do that. Uh, but he, I asked him in the end, like, do you think this is the end times? And he's like, yeah, it could be, very well could be. Um, and I asked him, like, you know, are you going to flee to some rural area? I'll leave New York City. And he's like, no, I'm not, because if it is the apocalypse, like if it is the end, the end, the the, the you know the end of the movie, the end of the video game, game over. And he made a good point. Then it doesn't really matter if you're urban or rural, because it's the end. Even if you're out there in rural Poland, uh, you know, Christ comes back is the end. So, or, I mean, you're, you're either going to be in the, stuck in the urban area or the rural. 
when Christ comes back and it's the end. So um, I thought that was a good point and, and kind of pushes the idea that to remain optimistic, regardless of, of how bad things get. Uh, and it's up to the individual. Like some will be, I've become less freaked out. Uh, I'm in a more urban environment and I've just kind of become less freaked out and more like whatever comes, comes. Uh, although at the same time, I am trying to, you know, uh, save some money to buy a plot of land outside. Uh, but even that is not this, it, that, that will only get you so far. We have no idea um, how long I'll be able to use a car to get to that area, you know, or a million variables or things that will happen in the in-between time where, okay, I've got some far land, farmland, but you know, we, we've all looked at and discussed of the different ways they can make life hell. Um, you know, even if you do have uh, farmland. So, excuse me. Throughout history, the Antichrist was presumed to have been so many different people. Uh, you know, there was uh, Caesar, there was Napoleon, there was Stalin, there was Hitler. Every one of them in their day was right. This is the Antichrist. This is it. Now we know this is the end times. That's the Antichrist. Uh, and of course, the biggest one is the Church itself. The Church itself has been classed as the Antichrist more times than any any other institution, I mean, collectively. And what you said about the corruption of churches, well, the Vatican itself is just a mafia. And I, I to me, they're out and out satanic. And I've looked into them a lot. I've looked into their history. I've looked into their mystery schools and all of these uh, occult ceremonies. And they are as dark as you get. So they're definitely enmeshed with the system. But in terms of individual churches, uh, yeah, it's awful. I mean, if you look at what's happening in England now, right now, they're actually, it's a heresy every single week. They're saying things like God was non-binary. You know, God was non-binary. Have you ever heard such nonsense? I mean, literally taking the scripture and butchering it. Uh, so yeah, dark times for sure. And I think, you know, I'm certainly not of the kind of classical Christian type, I guess, which which sees scripture in a very dogmatic way. I'm probably more Christian hermeticist, if anything. Uh, so I've definitely got space for kind of symbolism and seeing scripture in a more um, metaphorical way, no doubt about it. But I certainly believe in the revelation of Christ. So to see these things, it's uh, it's bewildering. And uh, how is it happening with you, Haroy, over there? How are people taking this in your church? Are people actually uh, pushing back against this kind of stuff? I mean, Mexico is a very religious country. Uh, I was just going to add to what you said. Um yeah, I'd agree with you with the Catholic Church as an institution. And um, uh, what did you, I forget what you mentioned, but um, the oneism, oh, non-binary uh, God. Again, that goes back to what I said earlier. It's, the, it's this new, the new world religion is exactly that. Because what we have from the traditional monotheistic view is you've got God, the creator and creation. It's a binary system. It's dualism. And I think that's the truth. That's the correct objective truth. So they're Satan's trying to destroy that and create oneism. And that you see a lot in alt media that you know this this it's this new age pagan stuff where all is one, one is all. I've been to recent conferences where some of the people were like, "Yes, I'm speaking with you. You and me, we are just one. I'm speaking with myself. When we die, we're just going to go back into this cosmic consciousness and." That goes together with the whole trans, I think, ideology, transhumanism, transgender, because there's no binary. It's all one. You see how it all, all trans come together, transgender, transhumanism, um, uh, new age, oneism. That's, that's, that pulls everything together. That's the new world religion. And I just thought it was funny. I read over the weekend, King Charles III 
he's talking about he's going to willingly abdicate abdicate in 10 years so it's like it's like they're dissolving the royal family i'm joking like is he making the making way for the antichrist like uh it's just a lot of strange things are going on and uh well here in our church we don't really talk so much about this stuff maybe with a few believers here or there we'll talk about it sometimes but the main focus which i think is correct is just evangelizing and preaching the gospel i mean what else are you going to do you know that's the most important <laughs> did you see the opening ceremony to the fifa 2022 olymp uh sorry world cup uh of football i mean i don't i don't watch football but i saw the games it had morgan freeman in it and it had this really i mean normally when we watch these opening ceremonies it's like out and out satanism if you watch the 2012 london olympics the opening of the gottfried tunnel in uh, switzerland it's like lucifer and triangles everywhere it's out and out satanic but this one was exactly what you just said it was this one world kind of religion type ceremony and it was all lovey-dovey it had all the religious symbolism kind of merging into one. Then there was this kind of disabled guy and Morgan Freeman came out and they had this really kind of what was meant to be a touching moment where they kind of acknowledged each other's humanity and said, you are me and I am you. It was very bizarre, but it was definitely in line with this idea that we are all one. And, it, you know, this there's complete cultural relativism. It doesn't matter what they do over there in the East or what we do over here in the West. And it's kind of emerging. And that's exactly what's happening on the ground, too. We're having all of the different cultures being forced upon one another. I mean, my country, uh, Great Britain, it's it's out and out racist just to have any pride in your country or to be proud of anything that your ancestors did or to wave a flag. You know, they've made it so it's kind of impossible to actually embrace your own culture. However, it's beautiful if you accept everyone else's culture. Uh, so it's kind of is happening. And one thing that it reminds me of also is remember the final episode of Lost? You remember that? It was. No, I don't know if I've you've watched that. It. <laughs> it was a series we was all into many years ago. And it was super huge at the time. And we used to all, I mean, it was that big that at university, we'd all kind of have this night where we'd illegally stream it. And everyone would be sat around, like 10 of us in a room watching a little tiny laptop. And the, it was a really interesting series. It was very intriguing. However, at the end, the final episode was so bizarre. It had all the religious symbols, and then they all merged into one. And that was how it ended. So it was this kind of coming together, and it was this message that we are all one, all religions merge, and it's this universal oneness. And, of course, we know that the Tavistock Clinic and throughout history, they use TV and they use the media to impression these ideas that they're going to sigh up us into later on into the TV program. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if you've seen any of that, particularly the FIFA ceremony, but there is a big push for what you're saying right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm aware of Lost. I've probably seen a few episodes, but back in the day, I just never had the time to you know sit down and watch. Uh, uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even get to finish watching the last season of my favorite uh, series man in the high castle i've seen the first three but i time you know you get older family and stuff but again that just goes back to what i've been saying the whole oneism thing and oh my my most recent podcast was with the british uh mary harrington out in the uk who writes for unheard uh magazine she's got a fantastic book coming out feminism against progress but it goes to what we're saying her thesis is that feminism ended with the sexual revolution and then what we have today uh, that's known as feminism is actually transhumanism. And she says the first transhuman technology was the birth control pill because that gave women the ab ability to upgrade their physiology, right? They can then decide whether they can ha want or have kids or not. 
it's like an upgrade, like in the you know, like in, in the video game sense. And then also, she says the many Sorry, have I to interrupt, but many women actually use the implant too, which is actually very much kind of closer to the transhuman. It's actually an implant in the body. Yeah, that, and then she says the second is the gender ideology, because then that, and she goes, she uses fantastic terms like bio-libertarianism, meet Lego Gnosticism, meet Lego, because look what we're doing now. I just discovered, so this weekend, one of my ex-students from 10 years ago who had like long hair and was a rocker, he became a Christian. He cut his hair. He married now. He converted. And he told me one of one of my other students, his classmates, is now becoming transgender. And he showed me photos like he's taking hormones and he wants to become a woman or maybe not even become a woman. Like transgender. It's like becoming something else. And it's like they they don't have that meaning in life and they're searching through it in this new religion. And that's going to leave them still unfulfilled. But my point, going back to Mary Harrington, uh, meet Lego Gnosticism. Gnosticism. She says this is all underwritten by tech, uh, you know, big tech, and uh, everything's being commodified. And uh, she says she calls it cyborg theocracy. Again, transhumanist cyborg theocracy is exactly what I've been talking about earlier. And um, uh, basically, they liberate us from our bodies. Uh, and it's yeah, it's crazy. It's <laughs> you can see it everywhere. I mean, the transgenderism is a huge Trojan horse, and they've been setting up for it for a long time. And I guess it all goes all the way back to Darwin, doesn't it? It's like this idea that man uh, evolved from uh, apes, and there is no God. And this godless society, therefore, it puts man in the role of God. And with transgenderism, it's in a very literal sense, because what it says is, oh, look, oh, look, there's all these people that were put in the wrong bodies. They've got the wrong body, but they've got the right mind, rather than the alternative, which would be actually. The you know, I never thought mind. about that. I'm going to steal that from you. That's I never. That's you just uh, uh, crystallize it, where people think they've got the right mind but the wrong body. Well, exactly. No one's. I've never actually heard anyone say, "What if I've got the right body but the wrong mind?" That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's it. That's it. And and the and the thing about that is, when you actually pick it apart, what does that say? Well, it says that if there was a god, this god makes mistakes. This god makes mistakes, and man has to fix the mistakes. And therefore, man is above god. Whichever way you spin it, we either have no god, or we have man above god. Man has to come in and fix it, and that is man being god. So I think that is the big Trojan horse. And of course, there's a lot of other things they throw into that such as censorship, um, yeah, corralling people into one kind of view, forcing people to uh, deny truth. And you know, all of those things are totalitarian Trojan horses too. But that's the biggest one for me is it's, pu- it's putting them in the role of man. But all I see, Havoy, is butchery. It is just out and out butchery. I mean, if you, I don't know if you've ever had the horrifying experience of seeing one of these uh, fake fallacies that, well, it's, 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 they cut out some uh, muscles from the forearm. And then have skin grafts. I don't know if you've ever seen one, but it it looks like uh, it looks like an animal that's been savaged. I, I'm sorry to anyone that's had that image put in the head, but it's awful. It's out and out butchery. There's nothing sophisticated about this. It's yeah, it's crazy. Someone put a tweeted out a great thought as well uh, on this subject where the god if you think about who their god is they said and they showed of it makes sense the whole transgender transhumanist oneist uh idea uh baphomet you know people there's this photo of this like satanic goat uh baphomet and baphomet doesn't have a gender that made me think 
I don't think the angels have a gender. And if Lucifer, you know, Lucifer is the one who's, who, this is all coming down to Lucifer wanting to take over the planet and have everyone worship him. And he wants to be God and he wants to feel like what, it, what it's like to be God. He doesn't have a gender either. I believe I may, may might be mistaken, but that would then make sense. Also, you know, transgender, transhumanism, no gender, because the God of this world doesn't have a gender and you know he wants to be worshipped and uh, because the 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 creator god uh i think it's pretty clear is male uh you know uh so uh yeah anyways yeah no i agree yeah that i mean the baphomet one is yeah it's like a you know some people say that this baphomet god is uh or this kind of uh it's like an androgynous one it's got both genitalia mm. of male and female that that's not actually what we found in the Old Testament, which was Moloch or Malek, which was the one that they was worshipping and sacrificing children to. And there is some good argument for that. And they say that when the Bible references Satan, they're actually referencing this uh, deity that the Israel, uh, the uh, Canaanites were sacrificing their children to. And I've done a lot of study into that. And, and I can certainly see that. And especially if you look at some of the things that people know goes on in this world, some of the darkest stuff. If, if there's certainly a lineage there that seems to me if you travel out throughout each uh portion of history maybe in the secret societies there is this idea of sacrifice and i would argue that what we're doing right now maybe not a literal sacrifice but we are sacrificing children in every which way possible that they can convince the public to do it whether that's their mental health taking them out of education uh conditioning them for all kinds of uh well, I just say it's all mental health issues. I, I don't give any legitimacy to any of it. I don't know about you, Voya. I mean, do you, do you feel like this is, I know you talked about end times, but I guess the sacrifice of children would be a pretty big part of that. It's right right high on the agenda of what Satan would want to do. It would give, be to trick people into sacrificing their children to some kind of ideology. Yeah, I mean, I, I think by so many accounts, I mean, my feeling is that I've got a theory my going theory at the moment, again, anything can change, but I kind of feel like I wouldn't be surprised if tw- if the 2030s uh, is the end, you know, and I'm not the only one saying this, you know, there's, I've had this theory for a few years, but there's a great channel called AOC Network. It's, and they've grown. Like when I started following them, they had 100,000 subscribers. Now I think they've got like a million subscribers on YouTube. And it's this uh, Christian dude who makes these fantastic documentaries. And he, he points out that, you you could make the case theologically that the 2030s is the end because if if you count 6000 years of creation you know like 6 days 6000 years uh and then 2000 years since the death of Christ that that would bring us to the 2030s you know if Christ died around 33 AD um then you go to 2033 AD why are the elites obsessed with 2030 uh and so i mean when you say the end what do you actually mean by that what is like is it the start of the end? Because I guess when we look at the biblical kind of end times, it begins with this forming of the one world government. And then yeah. the Antichrist comes and he actually opposes them. And everyone thinks, oh, yeah. my God, it's the savior. It's the second Christ. So like when you say the end in 2030, do you mean the start of that period? Or like, no, this is like the seven years of tribulations kind of end. Because I said this to Rick Mund, they're very, very different propositions. If that's the one you're talking about, the seven years, then I'm going to go find a bunker somewhere, I think. No, but I mean, even if it's the same seven years, then I mean, it's it's only seven years. So it's still the end, you know, okay, by 2040, you know, so for me, it's like 2030, 2040. I mean, it's all the same. It's just a couple of years uh, difference. And 
I, I mean, I don't get into specifics, and I don't think, you know, I also don't like people who say this is the year, and they calculate things, and no, I'm not like that, because no one can know the, the exact year. You can just, for me, it's kind of like a haze. It's it's a cloudy haze, a mishmash that, that seems to be something's going to happen there with all of these different uh, events, because they want the world government. I think we're already in the world government. I mean, we've already talked about it. All our government, the, you know, 2020 especially proved that we are already in the world government. It's not like they're going to announce, okay, we're all in world government now. We're already there. All our nations are now taking orders from the global institutions. So we're already basically there. It could be argued. Uh, you know, then the Antichrist will come whenever he comes. You know, that's that. And this world government structure does not last for a long time. You know, it's 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 told. And so... And you can see other prophecies like these preparations for war. It talks about the kings of the East coming together, which are basically China, uh, Russia, Iran, Syria. You see them forming quickly, the alliance now. It's happening so fast. They're forming the alliance really quickly. And then it says at some point there's going to be uh, uh, a war as well. And so, yeah, I mean, that's my, my, my theory. I do feel that, you know, 2030s could be uh, it. If it's not, you know, then we'll still be talking or or maybe not maybe you know things will be so destroyed we won't have internet and you'll be there in poland and i'll be here in mexico carrying on and so yeah yeah i think it's personally i think we've got longer and i guess i think we're only in the beginning like i don't think we've seen anything yet put it that way i agree yeah yeah so i do whatever way we look we spin this one i think we've got some uh, real tribulations ahead but that might not even be it either that could just i mean and that's if you that's if you're taking the biblical view i'm open to both ideas and i, I think the bible's got it very right i think it's got it very right but uh, i also i'm not fatalistic i think that there is always the potential for humans to uh, for people to awaken themselves spiritually and emotionally and i think then the empire of darkness would fall apart uh, maybe by mid next week. I always say by tomorrow, but I think it will take a few people a few weeks to deprogram themselves. So give it a couple of weeks and it will all fall apart. But I don't see any evidence of that. I don't know if you've got anything that any hopeful kind of observances from over there. But as far as I can see right now, it's we're still in an extreme minority. There, there's an interesting clip I, I posted that, that I caught on the socials from George Lucas, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and uh, James Cameron you know, Terminator and this, you know, the globalist New Age movies, uh, Avatar. And George Lucas, they're talking about Star Wars. And George Lucas said, you know, one of the meanings he was putting into it was that he says, quote, we're fighting the largest empire in the world. And we're just the, well, he, he's talking about the inspiration he used for um, the rebels in Star Wars. And he talked about uh, the U.S. against the British uh, you know, uh, in the early on in Vietnamese against the U.S. And he's like, we're fighting the largest empire in the world. And we're just a bunch of hayseeds and coonskin hats who don't know nothing. And it was the same thing with the Vietnamese. And the irony is the little guys won. And the big, highly technical empire, you know, the English empire, the American empire lost. So I thought that was instructive given our current, you know, plight against the global technocracy. But I don't mind being fatalistic though as i said early on like i believe these things are eventually destined to happen um and when the the you know the end end comes whenever it is there's nothing to stop it uh as you say maybe we can shift 
certain tides of the battle, you know, in, in, in different ways, um, or, or 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 in ways that delay the inevitable. But I just kind of feel like, you know, it's been foretold. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I I don't I I don't view that as fatalistic because as a Christian I don't view it fatalistic. Now, if you're not a Christian, I think then you would view it as fatalistic. I think so. Th- that's kind of like how I view it. If you're Christian, it's not fatalistic. It's going to happen. You've got your parachute. You know, you've you've got your parachute uh, t- to jump out of the plane as it's going to crash. Whereas those that aren't Christians, they don't have the parachute, and for them, it is truly fatalistic i guess that's a one way of <laughs> summarizing it i think the way that i interpret scripture when i read about end times is i think that that doesn't mean that everyone dies it doesn't mean that because christ returns it says that a lot of people a lot of people are going to die and you know we're already kind of seeing that we're seeing a lot of people start to yeah. check out you know people are dying from suicide people are dying from the uh magic shot part two part two juice yeah. Well, in part two, we could get into those things quite deeply because it's uh, completely uncensored over there. Uh, this part will go out on YouTube, but you know what I'm talking about. So there are a lot of people checking out and there's a lot of people who are simply not having children or can't have children. I mean, the sperm rates have gone uh, through the floor. Like people, yep. I know most people today, most of my friends, they couldn't have children for years. They were trying and trying. Most people that I know now have to go have some kind of special uh, appointments and help and then maybe they eventually get lucky and it happens or some people don't but it's not happening like it used to avoid when i was younger even i remember people could oh i had sex once and i got pregnant that kind of thing i don't hear much of that anymore no you're spot on i mean i'm i'm still lucky where i'm I, i'm pretty fertile uh, we, <laughs> we, have, we haven't had issues who got a couple kids and uh i know people just like you who uh have been Trying, it's multiple factors. I feel like it's mental first, cultural, moral, where a lot of people have been convinced. They've become these materialists, just hearkening back to what we were discussing earlier. You know, this new world religion, uh, you know, this brave new world climate changeism religion, which says don't have, you know, I saw a poster, a photo of a poster in Madrid in Spain recently. And it was a, the Tinder poster, you know, the Tinder app for one night promiscuous stance and it showed a form it said in spanish you know form a family and it showed this couple that looked like you know not not to be a real married couple but just you know the promiscuous and couple and they had a dog like no children it's like don't get married don't have children and as you say the fertility rates um the numbers just keep coming out every week. Like I saw recently, they're just dropping everywhere in Africa. They said they're declining. Bill Gates must be, you know, celebrating, uh, you know, in Africa, it's declining uh, everywhere. And, you know, I've known a lot of, I've known people who's, you know, they've only got one kid. They don't want to have more kids because they think they won't be able to afford it and maintain their fancy lifestyle. Whereas uh, in my church, you know, someone uh, just last weekend, they announced uh, they're going to have another kid. Their fifth kid. So I know people that have five kids and they have normal middle class jobs and they continue living the normal middle class lifestyle. Like it's it's a, it's a lie, you know. Yeah, sure. It's it a lie. Tougher. My grandparents, uh, my great grandparents, they were having 15 children. My great grandmother actually died uh, giving birth to one of them, uh, my granddad. And they had 15 children. There was no social security. They lived in a two room house. You know, they peed in a in a hole in the ground. So this is the poorest of the poor. This is post Victorian. My grandparents do, yeah, like that. Yeah. So so this is a lie. But but also, I guess 
that's probably why they had to seduce us and give us a certain quality of life because we had this kind of unprecedented era of freedom over the past hundred years or so. And they gave us just enough to kind kind of convince us that we were free when we wasn't, and also to uh, fall in love with our lives, our lifestyles, should I say? No, the, 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 again, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. And I read something uh, about this recently that specifically speaks about that, where it says that propaganda. I think it was Jacques Ellul, um, who you know, I think he's some sort of. He's kind of new agey, but he's he said a lot of stuff that's amazing. Um, but someone posted a, a, an excerpt from what he was saying that propaganda basically only works on the middle class. Propaganda doesn't work on the lower classes because they don't have time. First of all, they're not educated enough because you know they don't have they don't have time to get educated, uh, and they don't have time to consume the propaganda correctly because they're just busy surviving day to day. And and this is something this theory I tested out during COVID because I would notice during during COVID nineteen eighty four when I would talk to the working class people who are all around me you know construction workers just working class lower economic status people they didn't buy the narrative but then all the people that I know that are middle class they've gone through the academic institutions they got their match bachelor's degrees master degrees doctorates they're all believing full on you know they're Covinians. And what Alul says that it's almost in a way that the globalists—it's actually in their favor to build up uh, a middle class because they're going to buy into the propaganda. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of eye-opening. That, um, but it's—I don't know—it's it's hard to figure out because now it seems like they're trying to destroy the middle class and bring us into this neo-techno uh, feudalism. So I, I don't know going forward how it's going to work but yeah it seems like the, the most receptive to the propaganda is the middle class because they've got enough free time to ingest the propaganda whereas others don't that's the arc of history that i ascribe to that's the way i've analyzed it in my own life is that they made it very easy for the working classes to kind of go to the university and kind of become quasi middle class and they built out the middle class over the past uh, hundred years they got woman, women into the workforce and used feminism as this kind of cudgel against men and told women that they was liberated and free. But actually, on the other side of that, what we got was the sexual revolution, which was to destroy values and morals and ethics. So it all kind of links together. If you now look at it across kind of the agendas that are in play, they had to do everything in that order. And of course, the venom on society was always society versus society. At no point in that did anybody have a point uh, to the top of the pyramid and say, you guys are doing this to us. It was always men versus women, uh, black versus white. You know, it was always kind of this uh, critical race kind of theory that was emerging. So that's the way I see it. And I think, like you said, now we're going to see the destruction of those same middle classes. But I guess that's probably because we reached peak middle class. I, th- I don't think there was anywhere else to go. I think as many people as they could convince were convinced and the same experience with you. Some of our most middle class friends, they were the most cowardly over COVID. You know, they 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 locked themselves in their hermetically sealed houses and refused to leave. I remember when we first came to Poland, we had some close friends and, you know, they just refused to see us for, for like eight, nine months. It was like, it's not happening. Uh, and we was walking around as normal with our masks off. And same same experience, the working classes, they couldn't care less because the farmers, it's like, what are you going to do? It's like, we have to work. We have to go out. Like, you know, and everyone just went about like normal. And when we moved to this really tiny little village, 
the first person that I met was the hairdresser. And the first thing she asked me was, did you take it? Did you take it? <laughs> and I said, no, of course not. And she said, yeah, me neither. <laughs> and, you know, and then like it turns out pretty much everyone here is not taking it because nobody cares. Because in such a small village, everyone sees everyone every day and everyone knows who's died and who hasn't. And when you go through this th- supposed death, uh, you know, this period of mass death and nobody's died, it's pretty obvious that it's a scam. So even if you don't consciously know why it's a scam, you can just visibly see it. Whereas in a big city, I guess you don't see have access to everyone every day. No, I, and you mentioned hairdressers. So I just, I, I wanted to mention this anecdote that happened recently to me. So I go to my local hairdresser here in Mexico and I went like, you know, maybe two months ago, got a haircut. And I know that we, we, we talked about this. The lady is, is she's taken the Pentagon juice, you know, she's uh, gotten the, you know, the, the, the stuff, you know, and, and I, two months ago, I could see her. She was physically like a zombie. She, you could tell something was wrong with her. She was physically weak, physically ill. She could still cut the hair properly, but it was almost like I, she was going to fall over, you know. And I thought, okay, maybe she was ill that time. I come back, get a haircut like last week. Uh, two months later, she's the same, even worse. And, and it almost looks like she's getting things on her face. Uh, and, and it literally looked like she was going to collapse. And then, but what happened though, later that afternoon, I mean, I was feeling fine, been fine for weeks. No, everything's normal. Everything's fine. I get the haircut that afternoon. Uh, I I was doing my TNT show live and I was like feeling chest. I was having a migraine. I was feeling chest pains. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, I was almost worried. I couldn't be able to carry out my live show. And I'm like, what? no other variable changed in my life except going to get that haircut from this lady who's gotten, you know. And then there's people who have talked about, you know, shedding you know, the spike protein. You know, it's it's you, people, this is a bioweapon that they've been in, in, injected mm-hmm. with. And so it's like, what if I got shed on? And this happened to me more frequently in like 2022, 2021, where I just out of the blue get these crazy migraines so bad. And I, I'm wondering like, if it's because I've been around these people and maybe some people in some people it's more s- stronger than others because they say, you know, the, the, the potency of the, of the, the medicine that they got, uh, you know, some, cause they say, you know, that the heat affected the transport of, of that, you know, quote medication. And so uh, some got uh, sh- shots that were not, that were duds and others that were more powerful. And then I guess, those circulate more within their system and so and and yeah anyways yeah so i just thought i can't find any other explanation for why i was feeling that way so and it wasn't like an illness like it, the next it went away in one or two days and so no other symptoms so just like yeah it's weird it's worrying yeah it's worrying for sure and i've been through this i think i've probably mentioned it before at least on my uh, parallel systems broadcast that I've had so many people in my life that have uh, died or got really, really ill or had seizures for the first time. Uh, I mentioned many times my sister, she had a seizure for the first time in her life after taking the magic juice. Uh, she got a driver's license taken off her, packed her skull. The next person I spoke on, to on my podcast, he I told him about it and he said, oh, that's t- terrible. Sorry to hear that. Uh, two weeks later, he calls me up. Mike, I'm like, yeah, he said, my sister's in hospital. She's just had her first seizure. The exact same thing my sister has had. She was in hospital, cracked her skull. Uh, what are the chances of that? 
Then I spoke to another person on my podcast. Uh, no, I was invited on a podcast, Palisades Gold. Uh, and uh, the host there, Tom, he said, he said, oh, oh, that happened to your sister. He said, I was on the trail the other week with a young guy, 19. We just got back from a four-hour run and hike. He dropped down with a seizure, collapsed on the trail, 19 years old, first time in his life. Then, Haroi, last one. <laughs> then my neighbor in a village of six, the week after, she's driving her car. She has a seizure at the wheel, smashes into a tree. That was in the space of a month. That I, I got all those stories and had it happen in my family, my neighborhood, all in the space of a month. So this is this is global. It's happening everywhere. Most people aren't waking up to it. Most people are, I mean, even in my family, they're saying, oh, no, 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 it's not what you think. It's not what you think. You know, the doctors have told them it's something else and they've completely disregarded the idea that it could be related, whereas I obviously think it's definitely related. So, uh, and this shedding thing, uh, that worries me. <laughs> As somebody that takes good care of my health, that really does worry me. I mean, I'm trying to ignore it because I've got very close family members out here who, if you offered them a thousand injections, they would take every one of them. So if I if I refuse to see them, like, that, you know, how do you manage your family relationships? But it does worry me. Hey, you know, what's what the... Multipolarity is going to save us, right? Brazil's Lula said not long ago, Bolsa Familia, that's the social welfare that millions of poor <clears throat> Brazilians are on. He literally came out and said, I don't care if you got to take 10 COVID shots or 50. He literally said that. If you don't take the required shots, we're going to turn off your Bolsa Familia, your social welfare. If your kid is not up to date with the shots uh, I, I think they even alluded to they're they're going to take your kid from you and they're trying to like make uh mandatory uh you know other people that i follow like meryl nass who, who works with children's health defense she's been a guest on my tnt show uh, she's a biowarfare expert she's got a great sub stack like twenty thousand followers and she was pointing out that their goal is to make vaccination mandatory globally in all nations no escape uh from it and they're going to just mandate to take a, a unlimited amount of injections. And so, I mean, yeah, that's one thing I think to worry about. But again, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of at the point in my life where I'm older, I'm tired. I just can't, I, I don't care anymore. I can't, I don't want to worry anymore. I'm just more like, you know what, bring it, bring it. You know, uh, I don't care anymore. Whatever happens, happens. Um you know, if it, like, like I've mentioned in the past interview that I did, I'm going to laugh on the way to the gulag. Uh, if I and if you know, if, if they shut me off, if they put me to take, put me in prison for not having uh, the injection, I'll just think of my grandpa who was a Nazi prisoner. You know that that'll make me feel better. But yeah, you know, I just I, I think it's it's too stressful. To, it's it's too. I don't like worrying too much. I have some listeners who just send emails and they're just freaked out. And it's just like, do the best you can do. Chill. Enjoy life. Uh, we can still eat steaks today. Uh, you know, bugs are not the only option on the menu today. So we'll see what tomorrow will bring. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you said that because right now I actually feel very grateful a lot. You know, life. I, if I get to, like, I got to, like, plan for these shows. Like, if I'm doing an interview, I'll go to my favorite coffee shop sometimes and I'll take my laptop and I'll sit there for three hours. And you know, it's just chilling in a coffee shop, uh, relaxed. Uh, sometimes I take my wife out, we'll go for a meal in the city. And, you know, but every time I do that now, it's got like an added kind of, yeah, I guess gratitude to it. Gratitude is the best word. 
Because I think, you know what, I know for a fact and I get, I, I've always had a very good instinct in life and a, almost kind of like a premonition of what's to come. And so far it's been right. Like the times we live in now, I first discussed these when I was 15 with my friend. We used to stay up all night and talk about what the future was going to be. And we kind of predicted the rise of transhumanism and uh, global totalitarianism. We always had that view. And we went out into our lives and kind of lived. But it was always there in the back of my mind. And now we're here. So it's like, okay, well, I can kind of see that the future, these things that I'm doing now that I'm grateful for, they're not going to be there. You know, they're going to go at some point. And the world's going to change very fast. So in that respect, I do kind of live day by day and I enjoy it as much as I can. And I actually, in my own personal life, I feel extremely happy and lucky. I don't know about you, but I, I try to live that way. Some days I get down about this stuff. Of course, who doesn't? But uh, in other respects, it's actually had a bit of renewal for me. No, I think, you know, it's it's. I'm enjoying this conversation. You got a lot of insights and, and you crystallize things that I've kind of got the, 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 the germ of that idea in my head, but then you kind of just like uh, clarify it. Um, but I've been feeling that same way too, as well. And like, you know, when I have the opportunity, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes here you can order a kilo of fantastically grilled steaks for like 20, 30 bucks still here in Mexico with all the sides and stuff. And so it's just sometimes, you just you'll pick out like let, let's order a kilo of ribeye steaks let's order a couple pizzas you know for uh dinner just enjoy enjoy life and it's just like yeah as you say it's just enjoying the little things not fretting so much because you're, you're wasting stress is not good worrying is not good and so yeah i don't know if it's an age thing i just i'm enjoying you know some, a nice hot cup of coffee a donut or a croissant, you know, look, the sunshine, the wind, you know, conversations, the the, the real stuff. No, I agree. Uh, I think that's a great place to leave it for part one, Hawaii. We left it on a positive for everyone because uh, these conversations can sometimes feel pretty negative, but I think there's always a positive. Uh, and in part two, I think what would be really awesome is to get some of your ideas on philosophy, uh, maybe discuss some of those ideas more in depth, and also maybe to talk a little bit about how this one might play out. And I guess seeking our role in it so uh, I don't know how you use it but I always like to conjure up in my mind the image of my namesake uh, Michael the archangel Michael and that's that's I draw a lot of strength from imagining him uh, thinking about him plunging that uh, I think it was a spear actually that he plunged into Satan uh, so I actually have that image in my mind I visualize it a lot like we are going to have a role in what happens we're not just static you know, this isn't going to happen to us. You're going to be there and you might actually be able to influence the outcomes, at least for your family, for yourself. Uh, so maybe we could talk a little bit more about the spiritual impact too. Most definitely. And now we're headed into the nightmare version, part two. awaken from this illusion and you understand that black implies white self implies other life implies death you can feel yourself not as a stranger in the world not as something here on probation not as something 
that has arrived here by fluke, but you can begin to feel your own existence as absolutely fundamental. What you are basically, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself.